is how to scale your Everest. How to scale your Everest. Standing at 8,848 metres tall, being found at the border between Nepal and China is Mount Everest, Earth's highest summit. It took until the 29th of May 1953 for Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay to be the first people to be confirmed as having climbed the summit of Mount Everest. Each year, people seek to climb this mountain as being one of the greatest challenges on Earth today. In order for us to achieve our dreams, our goals, our Everest, there will need to be key challenges that we will need to face and overcome to scale our own personal Everest. God wants to help every one of us to break sound barriers, smash through glass ceilings and cause you to venture into the adventure of uncharted waters this year. If we're going to be champions, we can't be satisfied with talking about what we've done before. If I had a pound for every Christian that told me about what they'd done before, I would be a very rich man. If we're going to get to Everest, we need to stop talking about what has been and focus on what lies ahead. Do we hear an amen? amen. Very good, church. Very good. Hallelujah. Yeah. We're after practical keys to smashing through into realms never touched and heights never scaled. Isn't that right, Paul? Our Everest. God wants to decage you. He wants you to reach your Everest. He's after smashing your personal best. Yeah? I want to smash my personal best and beat Nigel Cleaver on the park run. But that's another story. Okay, so today we're going to be looking at overcoming attitude sickness. Overcoming attitude sickness. At 29,035 feet, Everest Summit has approximately one-third of the air pressure of sea level, which drastically... Reduces the ability to breathe. You can understand that, can't you? You can understand that might be the case. So the only way of preparing for this altitude is through gradual training and acclimatization. Or they will get altitude sickness. Its effects are the following. Dizziness, vomiting, and in extreme cases, death. Yeah? But if we're going to reach our Everest, we need to overcome something equally as crucial. I would hazard a guess at saying it's more crucial than overcoming altitude sickness. It is attitude sickness. How many people could have reached their Everest, their potential, their capacity, but never got there because of attitude sickness? Do I hear an amen? The people around your life, maybe even your own life, and you recognize that there's things you could have achieved. But because of your own attitude, it prevented you from getting there. So I want to see some, yeah, some amens, because this is truth. This is truth, and this is going to help some people in this room this morning. Ask any explorer 
any adventurer, or if you dare to put up with the foul language, the SAS program that's currently on the television, ask them how important attitude is, and they will put it front and centre. So they put people on missions, they go trekking through the sea, jumping, not, not trekking, not, not running through the sea, but swimming through the sea, climbing up mountains, and they will wake them up in the middle of the night, all sorts of things, and they will be testing front and centre their attitude, seeing what attitude they have towards other people, attitude that they have towards the challenge that is given, attitude towards authority, attitude is front and centre if you're going to climb your Everest. It's all about attitude. So often it's the attitude sickness which stops people getting not only to the summit but even to base camp in our lives. Our attitude can stop promotion, destroy friendships, relationships, ruin every aspect of our lives. So we must pay careful attention to our own attitude. Hallelujah. How many people know that it's always so easy to look at somebody else's attitude? But to look at our own. So, we're going to look at some bullet points this morning. Aspects of our attitude that we need to train in order to get to our Everest. The first one, you'll have no surprise. We're looking at prideful attitude. What does pride say? Pride says, I know it all. You can't teach me anything. I know everything that there is to know. Who likes being around someone full of themselves? No. The realisation is those with a prideful attitude have got no friends whatsoever. Maybe even burnt out their family relationships in the process as well. Now, I'm not talking about taking pride in your appearance. That's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to take pride in the work that you do. That's a very good thing. We'll be touching on that as we go through this sermon today. I'm not talking about washing your car or taking pride in having a well-maintained house. No, this is about an attitude trait that thinks everyone else and anything other than themselves is inferior, rubbish, or frankly, defective. I'm talking about an attitude of pride which stops you humbly asking others for advice and wisdom. The realisation in my life and ministry is constantly being realising my own lack of knowing everything. In fact, every day that I face, I'm faced with the challenges of new things, whether it be technology, whether it be people management, whether it be buildings management, whatever it is that I face... The thing that comes front and centre always is the need for other people and that I do not know it all. In fact, the more that you study, if you ever study, the more you realise that you know very, very, very little. Isn't that funny? If you don't study, you think you know everything. If you do study, you realise that you know nothing. What a strange world we live in. How strange. Pride can give us a superiority complex over everyone and everything. Unless your name is the Ancient of Days, you every day can learn something new and fresh. Humble yourself. Seek after learning from others around you each day. Even if they speak differently, look differently, and see life from a different angle. 
you want to get to your Everest, ditch the prideful attitude. What does the scriptures say? James 4 verse 6. We've got a James in the room this morning. James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives us more grace. I'm thankful to the Lord's grace because I need it. This is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Did you get that church? God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. If you're full of pride, superiority, think you know it all, you can't teach me nothing complex. God opposes you. Not my words, it's the scripture. You know, you wrestle with the scripture. If you don't like it, you speak to God about it. Ever wondered why some of you battle all day long and get nowhere? Not figured out why? Think you can get anywhere in life with God opposing you? If God stands against you, how far do you think you'll get? You'll get nowhere at all. You imagine having one of those humongous rocks like at Brimham Rock stood in front of you. You think you're going to shift it? Well, God is the biggest rock you've ever seen, ever imagined. You try and move through God standing against you. You'll just wear yourself out quickly. So this is why it's so important to deal with this pride. Because God opposes the proud. That gives favor. Who would like favor? Then stay humble in your heart. Stay humble in your heart. Deal with that prideful attitude. Ditch the pride and cultivate an attitude of humility. I can learn something today from those around me. Whoever they may be. I can learn from this old person. I can learn from this young person. I can learn something from the people around me every day. I can learn from humbly coming before my Lord and asking for his wisdom, <coughs> hallelujah, and his help and his guidance. Because me and myself does not have the resources for each day. But if I come humbly before the Lord and if I have a humble attitude to those around me, Roy, can you just help me with this job? That sort of attitude... You'll get a lot, lot further. Hallelujah. Don't spend your whole life with God opposing you because of your pride. What a life that would be. What a miserable life that would be. If God stands in your way all of your life because of pride. God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble have a humble heart secondly have a fruit of the spirit attitude galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 23 says this but the fruit of the spirit this is what god produces in us if we let him hallelujah but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance that's patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control against such things there is no law ask yourself is my attitude one of love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control 
If God is in our life, then we should be self-controlled. We shouldn't fly off the handle because we're self-controlled. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hello. So how, many, how many Christians think it's okay to just fly off the handle? Ooh. Is the spirit in operation? Do I have a peaceful attitude? Do I have a kind attitude? Do I have a self-controlled attitude? Do I have a patient attitude? Or do I fly off the handle easily over nothing? Do you really want everyone tiptoeing around you because they know you're a grizzly bear? Is that what you want? Do you want friends? I like friends. But if I have an attitude that is so easily provoked, my friends will walk away from me and I will never have any. Truth. Truth. I want lots of friends. And therefore, watching this fruit of the Spirit, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, desiring the fruit of the Spirit to grow in us is so important. Hallelujah. The fruit is the fruit which will cause us to prosper in the land. It is more valuable than gold. The fruit of the Spirit opens doors, builds friendships, gains promotions, gets us to Everest. Yeah? Do we see that? If you operate with the fruit of the Spirit in your workplace, your likelihood of getting promotion is greater. If you think you're just going to get your promotion by treading on everybody around you and slapping your work colleagues in the face every day, no, 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 no. Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. It will get you to your Everest. Thirdly then, an unselfish attitude. An unselfish attitude. I'm watching the SAS program and the challenge that they always do is they put people in pairs. One will operate the winch, letting someone abseil down and whatever, and they will just literally pull something to stop them as they're going down the road just before they hit the rock at the bottom. So one is relying on the other. Some people don't care as they're in these pairs. Some people have injured themselves. And then what happens when they've injured themselves? They've been winched down. Well, they don't like the other person. And everybody else in the group then goes, oh my goodness, I won't go near that person. I can't trust that person. Selfishness. He's a terrible thing. Philippians 2 verses 3 to 5 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility. That keeps coming up, doesn't it? In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Selfishness leads to an Everest expedition on your own. Truth? And how many people know it's highly unlikely you're going to reach Everest on your own? We know Edmund Hillary, is, his, his name is in lights, but he couldn't get it without the help of the other man. And if you want to get to your Everest, you're going to have to make sure that selfishness is not in operation. In your marriage, make sure that selfishness is not in operation. You need your life partner. So make sure you're not being selfish. Look to her needs or his needs. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Learn to defeat that selfish gene by being generous and not stingy. David Sherman, man of God in Nottingham, my former pastor, always went on about tipping people. And I was like, oh, so what about I'm saving up for a house? I'm not going to be wasting my money tipping people that probably don't deserve it. This has always been known as a tipper. Don't have that stingy, meager spirit. Everybody's watching you. You're a child of God. Be known as being generous, not selfish. Hallelujah. Pay for your friend's meal. Give regular tithes and offerings. Tip the waitress well. Put some money anonymous through somebody's door. Join a serving team. Don't ever be known as having a selfish attitude. Take drastic measures if you see that operating in your life. Amen? Amen. Having an unselfish attitude. Fourthly, an attitude of gratitude. Now, prick your ears up for this one, because this is good. This is good. When I discovered this, I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Wow. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. It says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. How many circumstances? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? While there are different causes of happiness, one way for sure to bring about more happiness is gratitude. Researchers, Dr. Robert A. Emmons and Dr. Michael E. McCullough, studied gratitude and directed participants to write a few sentences weekly on certain topics. The topics ranged from what they were grateful for to what irritants they had encountered that week. At 10 weeks, the researchers found that the participants who wrote about gratitude were more hopeful about the future had less, <coughs> less medical appointments and exercised more. Did we get that, church? Giving thanks can make you happier. Who wants to be happy? Oh, you guys. Who wants to be happy? I know you all do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you want to be more happier, cultivate the attitude of gratitude. And you will become more happier, scientifically, medically, proven. Something to think of. Well, I don't agree with that test. Well, I'll leave that with you. Uh, okay. Isn't that amazing? Having an attitude of gratitude can make you happier, possibly having less medical appointments. Who would like that? The NHS sure would, wouldn't they? <laughs> hey? And exercise more. <coughs> so clearly I need to do, develop the attitude of gratitude. little bit tired yes <laughs> how do you practically do this give thanks it says in all circumstances mm, Christian do we give thanks in all circumstances or do we just start muttering under our breath sometimes <laughs> look to our neighbor 
translate that. Um, think about that. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. It will do your heart good and everyone around you. Fifthly, a can-do attitude. I like this one. Many of you know I like this one. This one works for me in my life. When I got hold of this, I ended up doing things I never dreamed of. You might disagree with this, but this is the word of God, so I'm going to preach it to you and you should pay attention. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all this, or in some translations, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is the NIV, so we'll just read this. I can do all this through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. Hallelujah. Have you got a can-do attitude or a can't-do attitude? You need to think about that. Some of you are doing some soul-searching now and going, what's the course of my life? What's the normal default settings that are operating in my life? And for some of you this morning, I'm going to challenge you to change the default operating system of your life. And you will see very different results. Yeah? If you have a problem with your computer, as I often do, yeah, normally it's with the Wi-Fi, yeah? I have to have an update, I have to have a patch, I have to have a change in the programming, and then it works properly. It works as it should. Amen? Some of you young people are like, yeah, he's uh, talking my language now, I understand. We need to change our operating system. This is the operating system that worked for Paul who, without him, probably the church wouldn't exist. So he's a significant player. And he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Can you have a can-do attitude? Seriously, have you seen Nick, what's his name? Vojikic. Yeah. Nick Vojik. Yeah, forgive me, Nick, for not pronouncing your name properly. Nick has no arms and no legs. Google him. He's done everything. Why? He has a can-do attitude. Some people have arms and legs. They have everything and get nothing done because they start with the default operating system of I cannot do it. Have a Philippians 4 verse 13 attitude. You know, truly, if you want to find out what you can't do, prick your ears up, if you want to find out what you can't do, it won't be through starting point of having a can't do attitude. Do we get this? Your mind's going to explode in a minute. Then when the penny drops. If you start with a can't do attitude, you won't find out what you can't do. Because you do nothing. You attempt nothing. Are you with me? You're with me, church. Are you hearing this? Yeah. yeah. If you start with a can't-do attitude, you'll never find out what you can't do. You'll never find out what you can do either. But if you start off with a can-do attitude, then you will find out what you can and cannot do. Truth? Some of you need to hear this. It's going to change your entire course of your year. It's going to change the course of the rest of your life if you get this. Do not start off each day, kids, listen to this. Do not start off each day with a can't do attitude. Start off each day with a I can do it. And then you will find out what skills you have, what abilities you have, 
Yeah. Run that school race with a can-do attitude. No, oh, I'll never get there. Oh, I'll never catch up with that person. Just try it. You'll find out you've got gifts and abilities you never dreamed of. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, if you can cultivate a can-do attitude, you will not recognize yourself. You'll do amazing things you never dreamed you could do. And you'll have amazing adventures that are off the chart. If you're going to scale your Everest, start with a can-do attitude and just see how far you go. Hallelujah. Right, next point, having an others-focused attitude. Having an others-focused attitude. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11 says this. <coughs> Many of you have heard this, but you'll hear it differently this time. So ears, ears attentive to the word. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. That word keeps coming up, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Some of us as Christians have read this passage thousands of times, but what is the reason it is told? What's the reason it is told? What's the subject matter? Is it told to get across the theology of Christ empt emptying himself? The Son of God emptying himself? Is that the reason we're told it to learn some cool theology? I love theology. It's not the reason why it's told. No, look to the start of the text. The reason is told, it tells you, in our relationships with others. Act humbly to have an attitude of a servant. To not expect everyone to wait on you hand and foot. If we're going to really follow Jesus, if we're going to genuinely follow Jesus, you can't have that, oh, I'm just going to sit here wait for everybody to wait on me hand and foot or even worse grumble because people aren't waiting on you hand and foot if we're going to follow Jesus we must follow the one that carried the basin and the towel and washed his disciples feet amen we looked this week in life group at being servant hearted taking the very nature of a servant being like Jesus the servant king Jesus is telling us to have the attitude of a servant in our relationships with other people. Ephesians 4, this is not on the screen, I don't think. Ephesians 4, verses 31 to 32 says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay, so if you're taking notes, write HMK. In your notes, HMK. It was always a mystery for me at school what HMK meant. For many years, I was like, what does HMK? When Mrs. Brock writes on the board, HMK, what does that mean? And then Revelation came alive. It means homework. 
It means homework. It literally took years to discover. Yeah, that was me at school. Yeah, But your homework in this passage, it says get rid of. So there's homework involved. You've got to do it. Yeah, When, 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 when you get saved, God doesn't beam you onto the spaceship and reprogram you. There's work for us to do. It would be nice. It would be nice. But there's homework involved. Your homework here in this passage is to go away from here, look at your life, and ditch these things. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Sadly, you may have got yourself a reputation for having these characteristics. So homework is needed to work on removing these traits. We have work to do. We have work to do, church. Anybody in pastoral ministry knows, in the church, there is always work to do. And sometimes involving these characteristics. Give people around you the shock of their lives as you respond differently this year. It is Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. You're welcome. Give people the shock of their lives as you respond differently this year. If you have a problem with the anger monkey, you need to deal with that or it will run off with all your friends and family. It will literally do this. The anger monkey will come along and run off with your friends and family. Thank you, darling. It's what the anger monkey does. So kill the anger monkey, stone dead before it ruins you hallelujah next point attitude towards learning attitude towards learning proverbs 1 verse 5 says let the wise listen and add to their learning yeah church there's always room for adding isn't there add to your learning there's always more to learn be a lifelong learner and let the discerning get guidance proverbs 18 verse 15 says the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise seek it out the ears of the wise seek it out there's a seeking out of knowledge and wisdom and discernment in our lives hallelujah do we seek it out like a hidden treasure amen i'm a pentecostal through and through I love being a Pentecostal. If there's ever a time of prayer ministry, I love to be there. I love to be smeared with oil, prayed for. I love to fall down in the spirit. I love being a Pentecostal. But one of the sad things about the history of Pentecostalism is that there was this thing about learning. You don't need to learn. Ooh, if you learn, then you'll wander off from Jesus. That sort of attitude. But learning's not good for us. But it's anything counter to scripture is wrong. Amen? So the scriptures encourage us, my goodness, my goodness. Solomon wrote a huge amount of scripture. And we big him up. And yet at the same time, we go, oh, it's wrong to learn. Don't go learning. Be a lifelong learner. No matter how old or how young you are, seek it out. 
like a hidden treasure. Hallelujah. Have an attitude towards learning, developing the brain that God gave us. You know what? In the 21st century, I can access books, journals, all from my armchair via the internet. Google Books, Google Scholar, I can learn for free. I have no excuse. Years ago, Christians could go, well, I can't afford it. I can't access it. The libraries are miles away. I can't access decent theology. We have no excuse in the 21st century church. Hallelujah. The only hindrance will be my poor attitude towards learning. Yeah, I'm reading a book at the moment. It's a great book recommended by my wife. I was like, no, 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 no. I want to watch the TV, dear. She said, read it. Great book. And it explained how in this generation, with the advent of mobile phones and things, it is making us dumber. Having a shorter attention span. A shorter attention span than a goldfish. What's the name of the book? Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant, but you'll learn loads. And it's well written. It's written for someone like me that doesn't like reading. But, uh, it's a fantastic book. Anyway, right, okay, time, Michael. Right, we have DVDs from years of AOG conferences on the back table. We have great movies that will teach you, inspire you, spur you on in the faith. We are trying to add to that week in, week out. Be a lifelong learner. Go, I'm going to take one of these videos this week. I'm going to make the time to grow myself. Hallelujah. Ah, praise God. Right. Attitude towards the church then. Romans 12 verse 10 in the English Standard Version says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I like that. I've chosen the English Standard Version for this passage as the way it phrases it is simply beautiful. Love one another with brotherly affection. Wow, now that's the attitude expected towards your brother and sister in the church. That's something to head for, isn't it? I don't think any of us have arrived there yet. That sense of love. That sort of love doesn't cut a brother out when they say something you don't like. Well, I'm not talking to Nigel again, ever again. I'm just going to cut him off, not speak to him, I'm going to have nothing to do with him. He's nothing. He's nothing to me. No church. A brother is a brother, a sister is a sister. All of us have got something to learn there, that we love each other with brotherly affection. My brother doesn't stop being my brother if he says something I don't like. If he growls at me around the dinner table, as he used to, a lot. Now he's calmed down a bit. He doesn't stop being my brother if he winds me up. If he says something I don't like. If he wears the wrong clothes. I don't know. Brotherly affection, sisterly affection. It goes much deeper than a colleague. Much deeper than, well, well I'll be nice to them. I'm in the same space. No, 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 no. Much, much deeper. We have much to learn in our consumeristic day and age church, don't we? Yeah? Hallelujah. Hmm. Outdo one another in showing honour. Now that is cool, isn't it? How about trying that this year? 
Some of you, I don't want to do that. Well, doing it will change your heart. Do it. It will change your heart forever. Outdo one another in showing honor. See who of you can outdo one another in showing honor. That's an attitude to establish in your walk and your talk. In your marriage. In your relationships. Try that one out. (coughs) Outdo one another in showing honor. And see what happens. If you go home today and do that with your spouse, your son, your daughter, your best friend. Outdo one another in showing honor. You will end up cultivating the best friendships, the best relationships. It will go to a whole new level. A whole new level. You'll have relationships that you've never experienced before. Outdo one another in showing honor. Matthew 5.22 says this, But I tell you, that is probably not on the screen this one, But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Wow. I think that was Jesus that said this. And we in our Christianity go, no, 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 I won't be judged. Well, Jesus says, if you get angry with a brother or sister, you'll be subject to judgment. So we must watch the anger monkey, yeah? We must watch the anger monkey and kill it. Yeah? Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rasa, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So in our relationships in church, we must be very careful how we speak of our brother and our sister. Very, 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 very careful. Because not only will it ruin the relationship that we have with them, we're in trouble with Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Amen. I don't want to be judged by Jesus. I don't want to do that. So I must cultivate the right attitude. I must cultivate the right attitude. Hallelujah. In the church, be very careful with your temper towards a brother or a sister. Jesus isn't down with it. He's quite keen to address our attitude of anger. Keep a careful watch over your attitude of anger and address it. Romans 12 verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Have you got an attitude of having a spiritual fervor to serve the Lord at church? If you haven't, cultivate it. Have a word with the lame. Get you set up on a serving team. Cultivate that attitude of serving. Have a fervor. Be the first to get here. Yeah? I've got a fervor to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord in your workplace. Serve the Lord in your school. Have an attitude, a fervor for serving the Lord. And that brings us on to attitude at work. Colossians 3 verse 23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So that means no sloppy, substandard, half-hearted, cheap, make-do, bodgy efforts. No, I'll work while I'm being watched, and then when the boss goes, I'll have 40 winks sort of work. Our attitude at work should be worship to the Lord. Everything we do should be an act of worship to him. Your testimony at your workplace matters. More than what you do here on a Sunday, it matters. My goodness, your testimony at work 
matters so much. More important than how you behave here is how you act in your nine to five. Work for Jesus. Be the best you can be. Philippians 2 verses 14 to 15 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I tell you very sadly, when I used to work for the university and the council, sometimes I had the attitude of grumbling. Grumbling all the time, grumbling, moaning. That's no good. It doesn't get me nowhere. And the people around me, would they want to be with me? I doubt that. An attitude of faith and expectancy. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Read that again. Now faith is what? Confidence Confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. It's an attitude thing. It's living with expectancy, even if you have not seen it with your physical eyes. An attitude of faith. So if you have a medical ailment, ask someone to pray and anoint you with oil. I got some free oil from Hollybush. Yeah? I was the first one there. There's my free oil. I'm always looking for oil. I'm like, oh, where's it with? I never got it in the right pocket, so I'm going to get loads of oil because I've got an attitude of expectancy. I want to pray for people. Have you got the same level of faith? Cultivate that attitude of faith and expectancy. What does it say in the book of James? Jesus' half-brother. He said, if any among you are sick, what should we do? Call the elders, get them to anoint you with all the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. My goodness, we need to know this as Pentecostals, don't we, this scripture? We need to tattoo that on our forehead and have a level of faith and expectancy this year. If we want to be part of a church where miracles are seen every week, how many people know that starts with your attitude of faith? Not me. It starts with your attitude of faith and expectancy. As you cultivate that, the atmosphere will change. We all carry something. Do we know that? We all carry something. We all bring something wherever we go. So if you have an attitude of faith and expectancy, expect to see miracles in your workplace. As you carry that attitude trait. Hallelujah. If we want to be a church where miracles are seen every week, we need to cultivate an attitude of faith and expectancy and it will happen hallelujah the holy spirit is moving like never before i went to Hollybush just the other night me and my wife went up for prayer the guy was german he wasn't reinhard bonke i didn't know him from adam but the first words he spoke over my wife was about the very things that she's got a medical problem with he had no idea never met my wife before she hadn't got, didn't have like a leg in plaster or something, something obvious. It was something that Adam and Jenny that went with us got no idea about, I don't think. There was no way of him knowing other than the Holy Spirit revealing it. We live in days where Holy Spirit is wanting to do more and more miracles. But I think the only thing that hinders him is our attitude of faith and expectancy. Whether you're at the Anglican Church, Baptist Church, whichever church... If you have that attitude, 
you'll start to see miracles in that place. Hallelujah. I've got to land the plane. As we start this new year, I want us to give ourselves an attitude, M-O-T. It is our attitudes that will be the defining factor in whether we reach our personal Everest in our life. Do we want the prize? Do we want to scale Everest? Do we want the fruit of a transformed life? Do we want to be happier or healthier? You can talk to me later if you disagree. And perhaps make us healthier too. Is the prize worth it? Do we want it enough? Nobody wants to be around someone with a stinking attitude. They will walk away. They will run away. But if we really want the prize, there are keys to achieving it. Those scriptures we've looked at already, look at them. And then there's Philippians 4 verse 8. It's not on the screen, I don't think. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. To change our attitude, we need to meditate upon things that will cultivate a good attitude. What are you chewing over? That milk you put in your coffee, or about to, yeah, had to go through a process. The cow chews each mouthful of grass 40 to 60 times. And it takes approximately 8 hours each day. For our stinking attitudes to change, we need to chew over stuff that's true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Thinking over such things. Well, reaching base camp, summing up, I could have mentioned so many more things than this. It's unbelievable. If you want to scale your Everest, you must overcome your attitude sickness. Having a good attitude brings joy, happiness, makes us even healthier possibly. Less visits to the doctors. Our attitude will make other people want to be around us and will cause more people to be at our funeral when we kick the bucket. It's true. Done a few funerals. Sadly, you can tell someone's attitude at their funeral service by how many people are there. Our attitude will lead to others being willing to climb with us. If our attitude stinks, we'll be doing it alone. Attitude determines altitude. If you're proud, God's been opposing you. You can't win. It's that rock that's immovable. You'll never get nowhere with God opposing you. So deal with your attitude. Develop the fruit of the Spirit. Put some manure around your fruit tree. Deal with selfishness. Give generously to kill the stingy, mean, selfish spirit. Kill it dead. Cultivate the attitude of gratitude. Remember, happiness and health come from gratitude. Develop a can-do attitude. My confession is, come on, people. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wake up every day and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Tell, tell it to your mirror until you really start to believe it. Hallelujah. Cultivate this year a great attitude towards learning. Seriously, you might be shocked how much fresh stuff you can learn, whatever age or stage or IQ you have. Remember to show real brotherly love to your brothers and sisters at church. Outdo each other in showing honour. Your attitude at work, work for Christ. No more stealing stuff. For crying out loud, you don't need the pencils from the filing cabinet. Your reputation is more worth than rubies or gold. 
You're working for Christ. Let them keep the pencils. Honor Christ in your work life. Not only Jesus is watching you, but your work colleagues also. And cultivate an attitude of faith and expectancy. Last week, someone got prayed for, and they told me after that they'd felt a breeze as I prayed for them. God's got more for you than a breeze. He's got miracles this year. Hallelujah. But we need to cultivate that, that attitude of faith and expectancy, and God will move amongst us. I don't know whether you believe it, but I know it's true. I know it's true. Hollybush is a shed in a field. The amount of miracles that God has done there over the years. We've got a shed in a field. We'll have some miracles here as well. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's pray together.